and I meet this strength again in full force in gift from the sea. I tend to forget this quality in my mother, or maybe I've just taken it for granted. I remember how small and delicate she always seemed. I remember her intelligence and her sensitivity. But when I reread Gift from the Sea, the illusion of fragility falls away, leaving the truth. How could I forget? She was, after all, a woman who raised five children after tragically losing her first son in 1932. She was the first woman in America to earn a first-class glider pilot's license in 1930 and the first woman ever to win the National Geographic's Hubbard Medal in 1934 for her aviation and exploration adventures. She also received the National Book Award in 1938 for Listen, the Wind, her novel based on those adventures, and she remained a best-selling author all her life. She skied with me in Vermont when she was 65 and took long walks in the Swiss Alps at 70. Five years later, at 75, she hiked down into Haleakala Crater in Maui, Hawaii, to spend a night in the volcano with several of her children and her friends. I remember looking up in darkness at the great curved bowl of the night sky, bright with stars, while my mother, standing firm in her size five hiking boots, pointed out and identified for us the navigator's circle, Capella, Castor, Pollux, Procyon, and Sirius. They were the stars by which she had first learned to set a course in the darkness as a pioneer aviator fifty years earlier. Above all, I think, Gift from the Sea offers its readers an unusual kind of freedom. It is hard to recognize or even to describe, but I think this freedom is the real reason the book continues to be so well-loved and so well-read after all these years. I am talking about the freedom that comes from choosing to remain open, as my mother did, to life itself, whatever it may bring. Joys, sorrows, triumphs, failures, suffering, comfort, and certainly always change. In honest reflection upon her own experience, in trying to live from a core of inner stillness while actively responding, as we all must do, to the here and the now, my mother quietly set herself free into her own life and into all life. By writing Gift from the Sea, she found a new way to live in the world for herself and for others. It is a joy to know that with this 50th anniversary edition, a whole new generation of readers will be able to follow her. Reeve Lindbergh, St. Johnsbury, Vermont I began these pages for myself in order to think out my own particular pattern of living, my own individual balance of life, work, and human relationships. And since I think best with a pencil in my hand, I started naturally to write. I had the feeling when the thoughts first clarified on paper that my experience was very different from other people's. Are we all under this illusion? My situation had, in certain ways, more freedom than that of most people, and in certain other ways, much less. 
Besides, I thought, not all women are searching for a new pattern of living or want a contemplative corner of their own. Many women are content with their lives as they are. They manage amazingly well, far better than I, it seemed to me, looking at their lives from the outside. With envy and admiration, I observed the porcelain perfection of their smoothly ticking days. Perhaps they had no problems or had found the answers long ago. No, I decided. These discussions would have value and interest only for myself. But as I went on writing and simultaneously talking with other women, young and old, with different lives and experiences, those who supported themselves, those who wished careers, those who were hard-working housewives and mothers, and those with more ease, I found that my point of view was not unique. In varying settings and under different forms, I discovered that many women, and men too, were grappling with essentially the same questions as I, and were hungry to discuss and argue and hammer out possible answers. Even those whose lives had appeared to be ticking imperturbably under their smiling clock faces were often trying, like me, to evolve another rhythm with more creative pauses in it, more adjustment to their individual needs, and new and more alive relationships to themselves as well as others. And so gradually these chapters, fed by conversations, arguments, and revelations from men and women of all groups, became more than my individual story, until I decided in the end to give them back to the people who had shared and stimulated many of these thoughts. Here then, with my warm feelings of gratitude and companionship for those working along the same lines, I return my gift from the sea. The Beach The beach is not the place to work, to read, to write, or think. I should have remembered that from other years. Too warm, too damp, too soft for any real mental discipline or sharp flights of spirit. One never learns. Hopefully, one carries down the faded straw bag, lumpy with books, clean paper, long overdue unanswered letters, freshly sharpened pencils, lists, and good intentions. The books remain unread. The pencils break their points, and the pads rest smooth and unblemished as the cloudless sky. No reading, no writing, no thoughts even. At least, not at first. At first the tired body takes over completely. As on shipboard, one descends into a deck-chair apathy. One is forced against one's mind, against all tidy resolutions, back into the primeval rhythms of the seashore. Rollers on the beach, wind in the pines, the slow flapping of herons across sand dunes drown out the hectic rhythms of city and suburb, timetables and schedules. One falls under their spell, relaxes, stretches out prone. One becomes, in fact, like the element on which one lies, flattened by the sea, bare, open, empty as the beach, erased by today's tides of all yesterday's scribblings. And then some morning in the second week, 
the mind wakes, comes to life again. Not in the city sense, no, but beach-wise. It begins to drift, to play, to turn over in gentle, careless rolls like those lazy waves on the beach. One never knows what chance treasures these easy, unconscious rollers may toss up on the smooth, white sand of the conscious mind. What perfectly rounded stone, what rare shell from the ocean floor. Perhaps a channeled whelk, a moon shell, or even an argonaut. But it must not be sought for, or heaven forbid, dug for. No, no dredging of the sea bottom here. That would defeat one's purpose. The sea does not reward those who are too anxious, too greedy, or too impatient. To dig for treasures shows not only impatience and greed, but lack of faith. Patience, patience, patience is what the sea teaches. Patience and faith. One should lie empty, open, choiceless as a beach, waiting for a gift from the sea. Channeled Whelk The shell in my hand is deserted. It once housed a whelk, a snail-like creature, and then temporarily, after the death of the first occupant, a little hermit crab who has run away, leaving his tracks behind him like a delicate vine on the sand. He ran away and left me his shell. It was once a protection to him. I turn the shell in my hand, gazing into the wide open door from which he...